Take your Bible, if you would, please, and join me in the book of Mark, chapter number 9. Seems like we've been in Mark, chapter number 9, so long that the pages on my Bible are turning up. Mark, chapter 9. Please join us today in your Bible, and let's see what God would have for us. The bad thing about preaching through a book is you preach what Jesus dealt with next. And so next week, it looks like our Lord is dealing with divorce. I'm not saying I'm going to deal with it. I'm just saying he's dealing with it. Now, I want you to join me, if you would, please, as I begin reading in verse number 35. And uh, we'd like to welcome all of those who've joined us by way of live stream and radio and telephone and telewoman or whatever. But we're glad you're with us today. And I probably, we're out of parking already. Good thing we're going to take out another 50 more parking places over here. Isn't that a blessing? Since we're already out, I don't know what that concrete costs, but I'll know next week. So, Now watch it. I want you to look at this, all right? And in the text, I've had a terrible, terrible time with the text and applying it to each of us. And I don't think if the Bible is not applicable to us, we just don't need to use it. But the Bible said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Today I want to profit from the scripture, but I want you also to profit from it. I'd like... For you to look at the screen, I'll give you the title of my message, Get Over Yourself. You know who causes all the arguments around your house? Yourself. You know what uh, road rage is all about? Somebody pulled out in front of yourself. You know why you get tickets? It's not the cop's fault. Although you cuss him and are rude, won't shake his hand and tell him as you're signing the citation, don't you tell me to have a good day. I think that's a pretty good title, Get Over Yourself. Let me read for you, beginning in verse 35. The Bible says, and he, Jesus, sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, if any... Man desire to be first. The same shall be last of all 
That's 35 of chapter number 9 in the book of Mark. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had uh, taken him in his arms, he saith unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and it was cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. Wouldn't amputate be a better word? It don't sound so bad. Don't you think maybe in the progressive age in which we live, cut it off is kind of blunt? Maybe that's why they're changing the Bible. So it won't sound so bad. But Jesus said, cut it off. It is better to enter, halt into life, than having two feet to be cast into hell, in the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, having any trouble with Kmart Blue Light specials you really don't need, charging it when you have no intentions of paying for it. Watching ugly, profane pictures at night after the kids go to bed. If thine eye offend thee, put a patch over it. Pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye. And having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Have you ever noticed when you're cooking a steak. You put the salt outside 
But in the process of the heat, somehow or another the center gets salty. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. I have wrestled with that all week. But the context and the problem started in verse 33. Where the Bible says. And when he came to Capernaum. Being in the house, he asked, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? What necessitated the whole context was verse 34, and they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Jesus is telling the disciples, what you need to do is quit arguing and get over yourselves. Ministry is never about us. It's always about him. We must not get stuck on ourselves. Because the outward has a tendency to change over time. If you were ever pretty, that will change. If you were ever muscular, time has a way of readjusting geographically on all of us. And many of us and most of us, our sole problem is us. I won't. Please me. That's mine. And that's what the disciples were arguing about. I want to be here and I deserve to be here. After all, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration and I was one of the three who witnessed our Lord transfigured. After all, I think I should be greatest. The nine that was left down at the foot of the mountain was unable to minister to the demon-possessed child. They had failed miserably. They had a lesson that they forgot real soon. And they, even in their, in their lack and in their, in, their, in their inefficiency, they also said, I think I ought to be first. 
What you're looking at in the mirror is not what Jesus is looking at. The Lord is not looking at your paycheck. He's looking at what you're doing with the abilities he gave you. And he is saying to these folks, you need to get over yourself. I think the problem is that most of us think we're worth more than we really are. I think some of us and most of us many times feel more important than we really are. The story is told of a minister who was full of energy and enthusiasm for the Lord. And one day he went to the hospital to visit one of his parishioners who was critically ill. And as the preacher walked in, he noticed the man lying in bed with a whole host of tubes and wires running from him and attached to his body. And without delay, the preacher went over to the bed and began to exhort and rattle away with pride. And quoting scripture, the man started waving his arms. And the preacher thought the man was all into what the preacher was saying. And he began to wave his arms. And, and he began to be look enthusiastic in his face. And, and the preacher said, now we need to pray. And the prayed. And the preacher just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And at the end of the prayer, the minister said, amen. And he opened his eyes. And the poor man on the bed reached for a pad and a pencil. And he wrote something on the pad. The minister was deeply moved to think that this visit had been so encouraging to the man, especially since he had just died. The preacher felt good about his visit. He looked at the note. And the note said, you're standing on my oxygen tube. (laughs) Could you be, as a Christian, described by God as the salt of the earth? Is it possible... You're standing on somebody's oxygen tube. You have become a stumbling block to someone who needs a step in stone. And Jesus took the little child, set the child on his lap and in his arms. And he said, whosoever whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. It is better for him that a millstone is tied to his neck and is cast into the sea.
maybe unintentionally, you're standing on someone's oxygen too. My dad went to the hospital for a common, ordinary checkup. Somehow or another, as they has given him his lung test, his lung collapsed. He's in intensive care. They inflate his lung again. He's doing fine. And they have a tube inserted into his lung to enable the lung to get back to its rhythm. Unknowingly to a male nurse, he walked by and accidentally kicked the tube. It fell from my father's lung. His lung collapsed again. And my daddy died. Jesus wants to know, are you standing in the way of someone coming to Christ? And I looked at the text and I read it over and over and over. Boy, what better text to preach on hell than this text? It cries out to us that hell is a real place. It cries out to us that hell is an awful, awful place. It also cries out that it is an unavoidable place. I didn't feel impressed to preach on hell. I had just preached on hell a couple of weeks ago. And an old evangelist said if more people preached on hell, less people would go there. But I found another word that caught my attention, and I think maybe it might yours too. And the word that caught my attention is offend. In verse 42, in verse 43, in verse 45, and in verse 47. Offend. The Greek word that's used for offend is a scandaliso. It means it's it's having reference to a small wooden peg. That was actually the trigger to a trap in trapping wild animals. The little piece of wood stayed between the trigger and the, and the apparatus that when the innocent foe hit that piece of wood, wham, the trap door was set. In the Greek, it also spoke of a stone or a stumbling block. 
I see in verse 42, it is possible for us to offend others. Notice, if you would please, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. I bet the child molesters think they're getting away with it because nobody knows it. They're not getting away with it. I bet the teachers who teach down at the school that denies God and teaches that we are a process of evolution and disregard the Bible will not let any kid look at the Bible. I'd hate to be those teachers who's leading and misguiding little bitty kids that God loves and died for. They're not getting away with it. May I say to you that the porno uh, industry and the human traffickers and their day is coming. But now notice it not only refers to children and I'll tell you, I love children. I like to see them get saved. I like to see God change in their lives. Somehow or another, the disciples were hung up on kids. You just look across a page in another chapter and you see them bringing kids to Jesus and the disciples are offended. And I'll tell you something. If you go around to all the churches in, Amer- in, in this town, you'll find very few people who care about kids. Amen. They don't want kids in their auditorium. They don't want bubble gum on their pews. They don't want the little nosy, wet-nosed, unkept, unclean, unwashed, uncared for. They just soon they die and go to hell. They don't want to mess up their building. You say, that didn't, I didn't get many amens with that. I wonder why. But I want you to know something. My Lord loves little children. And he said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. And I believe God loves little children. And anybody, I believe, who abuses or misuse or or misteach little children are in dire straits. Because in Jesus' day, one one art of of, uh, of, uh, capital punishment was to take a millstone. Now in the Bible, there's two kinds of millstones. There's a small millstone that the wife around the house will take and, and break the grain and grind the grain. And then there is an industrial millstone. It is huge. One man cannot pick it up. It is called the donkey stone because it takes a horse or a donkey to move that stone. Jesus said one form of capital punishment. One form of letting all society know that we disapprove of what you've done is take a millstone, tie it to a person's neck, take them out into the sea and just over the side. Offending others. Well, preacher, why are you so, why are you so pickety on dress? Why are you so down on mini skirts, warm pants, and hot pants, and warm drawers? 
Why are you so down on tight-fitting clothes on ladies? i tell you why. What you got on may cover a little, but when somebody looks at you, he uncovers you completely in his mind. Offending others. Why are you so down on long hair on men? Because it's a badge of rebellion. Did you know that the Rangers would not let Mandy Ramirez play on the Rangers foot the baseball team with long hair? Well, preacher, why would you do that? Makes you look effeminate. Offending. Well, I don't care. I know you don't. But God's got a millstone. Well, you like your hair better than you do a millstone? You like your dress more than you do the millstone? You like being cool? You like punching out where you ain't got anything to punch? That's millstone theology. (laughs) Offend others. Well, I don't care. I'm happy. I wonder if it warranted a millstone. It's me, mine, or my offending others. You're getting mad at me. Oh, have I offended you? I'm just saying, folks, I think there's a lesson here. He says, the little ones, notice, that believe in me. Not just kids, but believers. You wear your shorts on Wednesday night. Hey, you men, I don't want to see your bony, stinking legs. Amen. If you want to see some tree stumps, you all let me pull these up. <laughs> but there's a place to pull them up and there's a place to pull them down. Because it's not about us. It's about him. It's about our testimony. Are we encouraging folks for right or for wrong? Amen. Amen. Offending others. I must close because some of you are looking bored. Notice the crime in verse 42a. The crime is offending these little ones that believe. Notice the consequences. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and were cast into the sea. Whatever we do, 
to offend a fellow believer, whether in word or deed, Christ frowns upon it. Amen. You say, well, preacher, you were preaching to me. If you're here, I am preaching to you. You say, what if folk get mad? They can get glad in the same britches they got mad in. Notice the consequences, always consequences for offending. Says it was better to have a millstone hanged about his neck. Please give me just a minute now as I talk about offending ourselves. How in the world, preacher, can we offend ourselves? Remember I said the word in the Bible, in the Greek, was talking about a trap. About something that's in someone's way that causes them to stumble or to trip or to fall. Is there anything... That has caused you to stumble, to trip, to fall, to backslide. Well, let's look and see what it says. Verse 43. Now look, if thy hand offend thee. What's the next three words? Cut it off. Have you noticed that once in a while our hands gets us in trouble? It may grab something that we ought not to be grabbing. Hand speaks of doing. If what you're doing and what you've done is offending... Standing in the way, you've laid a trap for yourself and you've taken the bait and bang, the door is shut. Or if something that comes from your heart has made you begin to drift, begin to drift, whatever that is, cut it off. Well, I'm asking God to take it from me. God didn't give it to you. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. I've underlined these words. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and going to hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. If thy foot offend thee, if thine eye offend thee, cut it off, pluck it out. You notice verse 42, it talks about offending them. Now look at your Bible. In verse 43, 
it started talking about offending you. If your hand, if your hand is reaching, if you're doing is separating you from God, pulling you away, cut it off. If thy foot is going where you should not go, when you should not go there. Well, does it have to be to a beer joint? No, it's anything keeping you away from God's church and God's people and God's will and God's word. Cut it off. If thine eye, pornography, X-rated movies, the window of the soul is the eye. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. I don't know about you, but it, it seems like some pretty strong language Jesus is using. Now, I'm not using it. Jesus is using it. Did he not say that? Look, it talks about the hand, the foot, the eye. Better, hell, fire, worm that dieth not. Fire is not quenched. We just need to take that out of our Bible because we don't believe it. Oh, the God I love, the Jesus of love would not do anything to me. He understands how much I love him out of church, out of God's will. I'm just so important. Get over yourself. Well, what would the church do without me? Some of you already tried that. What would you do without the church? And if thy hand offend thee, Jesus gave us some insight over in Mark chapter 7. He gave us some insight, I think, that would be good for us. Verse 19 of chapter 7, because because it entereth not into the heart, but into the belly. Notice verse 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed... Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications and murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from within and defileth the man. The hand does not control the heart. The foot does not control the heart. The foot, the heart, the eye does not control the heart. 
You know what's wrong with you? You got a heart problem. And because of that, you're allowing your feet and your hand and your eye to be a stumbling block to your soul and your spiritual growth and the victory that's in Christ. Isn't it amazing how boring this is to folks that don't want to hear it? Isn't it amazing how this don't apply to you? Because of your job. How unusual it is that you are the exception to the rule. You've probably got a chrome belly button. Because this does not fit on you. When you know deep in your heart, you have allowed your hands, your eyes, and your feet to throw up stumbling blocks and traps. And now you're trapped and can't serve God. Well, just in case you didn't get it, let me read you something. Please now. You said, preacher, you're going to make me mad. Well, I took a baby aspirin right before I preached. That will probably help me get over it. Verse 43, it's better for you. Verse 45, it's better for you. Verse 47, it's better for you to cut off whatever is offending you and pluck out whatever is offending you because there awaits for that offender hell fire that is not quenched where the worm dieth not. What Jesus is having reference to is some Christians have become fit for nothing but the garbage dump outside the walls of Jerusalem called Gehenna. Where that in the, in the, in the background and in, in foretime where that Israel's kings and Israel's leaders took their little babies and laid on the altar of Molech and offered their own kids for a sacrifice. I just wonder how many parents today, by their doing, by their sin, and by their going, have offended their kids and offered them to the God of materialism. Amen. You say, preacher, this is a Sunday night service sermon. Can I please help you? Our Lord's advice is cut it off. Pluck it out. Offending ourselves. I need to go. But I have one more point. And those of you who slept through the first two can now wake up and go home and say it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord.
I don't hate you. I love you or I would not preach this way. Please. I would rather die as to offend you with my going, with my doing, or with my looking. If I should do that, if I should offend you, and if I should offend myself, I most definitely have offended the Lord. Verse 49 and verse 50. For everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. In Jesus' day, salt was what American Express is to us. They didn't leave home without it. Some societies paid their bills in salt. Salt was so valuable. Medicinally. I mean, if they had no salt to fight out off the infection. Salt was used as a preservative. Before refrigeration, salt was used as a preservative. I've watched my daddy in November, early December, when we killed hogs. He'd cut those bacon slabs out. He'd cut the hands off and the shoulders off. And he'd take them to the smokehouse And he would take salt, hands full of salt, and rub and rub and rub those hands and that bacon. Because without refrigeration, those hams in the spring and deep winter would not be any good. But he rubbed that salt. And that salt preserved that food. The only preservative in this world is born again, obedient children of God. They voted this past week on an abortion bill. And if you were a Christian... And you still had any salt, you ought to be against killing little babies. Amen. Amen. Texas still believes this book. I'm glad I'm a Texan. What would you be if you were not a Texan? Something else. Salt also, as my father rubbed it on those hams and into that bacon, during the process of time, that salt actually actually penetrated that very heart of that ham. The inside tasted just like the outside. Salt gives flavor. 
Verse 50, salt is good. It's good medicinally. It's good uh, medically. It's good tasting. It's good. This old world should be better off because Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. Is this world any different or any better because of you? Is your kids any closer to God because of you? Salt is good unless it's lost its saltiness. Are you a saltless Christian? Is somebody seeing you somewhere when we're having church other than in church? What if next week somebody walked up to you and you were not in church and they said, Hello, Brother Saltless. See, salt is good if it's still salty. Christianity is good if it's pointing people to Christ instead of putting a stumbling block for that person in Christ. Preacher, I don't know what I can do. Get over yourself. Quit saying you need your nap this evening at 6.30 and get your lazy, bony, you know what, in church. Get over yourself. I don't need it. Oh, get over yourself. I won't listen. Come anyhow. Nothing new. I got a lot of them that don't. Just, could anybody here get over yourself? Jesus said, I close. Jesus said, have salt. Have salt in yourself. You like that? Get salty, he said. Get salty. Told the disciples, you guys are a bunch of saltless Christians. All you're doing is arguing about who does this and who does that. And you're bragging about your talents. And you're saying the church would be better off with me. Get over yourself. And the last part, and have peace. See the last part? And have peace. One with another. 